Um, this, I forget which one I have up here. Um, but I do want to say something about versions, just kind of latest, latest news in the world of uh, biblical translations. Um, oh, and down here I've got, it's an NIV, but it's an interlinear. So it has the text, but then it has the Hebrew with a literal translation under it. Um, but if you hadn't heard, the ESV, which is actually, it was translated uh, primarily by um, <clears throat> scholars who hold a very particular theological worldview. And uh, one that I don't... Anyway, they, they have basically declared that their version is what the Bible speaks of when it says, or in their understanding the idea of inerrancy, they're claiming that their most recent version will never be changed and is inerrant. Not the original text, their translation. And for that reason, I now feel obligated to caution people, when you're studying, avoid the ESV. Just avoid it. Once translators have the arrogance to declare that their translation is the one accurate, inerrant translation, they've lost me. Um, and I will say this, I know that there are KJV-only churches and believers who will say that about the KJV, but I've read the actual introduction to the translation by the monks and scribes who worked on it, and it was incredibly humble. They made no such claim. They acknowledged that because they were human, trying to interpret and translate a divine text, they knew that there would be mistakes, and would the reader please humbly forgive them. And they prayed that as they had done their best to accurately render what they understood to be the message of God's word, that he would continue to speak to the people, you know, and help them understand um, and, and fill in those gaps where they, they failed in their effort. Um, so it's one thing for a particular group of believers to declare that something about a particular text. It's another thing for the translators themselves to make that statement. And I find that incredibly concerning. Do you want to come sit with me again? I got room. I got room. You're trying to figure it out. You can't just like don't go around the table. She's so silly. Oh. So. Because I did the WEB, so no, I'm not going to say you're using that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
I, I kind of, I'm using what one of the versions that they have on their, um, the uh, program that we're using has the um, on-screen Bible, but I'm, I'm definitely trying to, to with, especially with these passages, I've got the interlinear out so that we can go and look at exactly what the Hebrew says. And um, if you weren't here last week, which I know neither of you were, uh, I've got the recording up of last week's study, and man, it was intense. So if you have time, it's long, it's like over an hour. But we just, as we got into it, you'll find a couple of passages that you've heard um, like, for example, the fact that, you know, when people say that they study precept upon precept, line upon line, uh, yeah, God's not cool with that. That is actually an approach to study that he says leads people astray yes. and into being lost and comes down very hard on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and the idea of Jesus being the cornerstone and what that means is it, it just some powerful stuff in there. So I, I highly encourage you, if you have time, to go and, and listen to that. Be, and let me know if you have any questions on it. Um, but getting into 29. So the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, in Isaiah 29. It says, Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the, seat, the city where David encamped. Add year to year... Let the feasts run their round. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel. And I will encamp against you all around, and will besiege you with towers, and I will raise siege works against you. And I want to look up real quick. Hang on. Because we've got... Oh, do you want more light? Oh, I have it. <laughs> uh, it. It's fine. I'll probably still need this anyway to make sure I can keep on top of it. So let me see. Um, mm-hmm, trying to find where. Because the Hebrew goes backwards, I have to switch around in my head. So they. Yeah, so set my siege works. It says the meaning of the Hebrew for this word is uncertain. So oh, God's word? for uh, Ariel. Oh, yeah, because right here with mine, it says, she shall be to me as an altar. Oh, wait. As an altar hearth. Well, it says the Hebrew for hearth sounds like the Ariel. Hebrew for Ariel. Yeah, it says or Ariel. Yeah, so it may, you know, it may be that there's some margin notes in, in a scroll somewhere that explain why it was translated in the way that says that. Wait, turn off the light. But if you think about the purpose of a hearth, it's, it's the heart of a home. It's where the warmth comes from. It's where, you know, in, with central air and central heating, we don't necessarily experience this. But if you've ever tried to cut down on the bill in the winter by running a little area heater in one room, you'll find that most people spend their time in that room. <laughs> So, so there's an intimacy to it, and and yeah, and God's saying, you know, you're add year to year, let the feasts run their round. Or you just turn off the light. But it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well for you. It says, and you will be brought low 
From the earth you shall speak, and from the dust your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost, and from the dust your speech shall whisper. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chafe. And in an instant, suddenly... So so it's saying you're going to be brought low, you're going to be... Like, at ground level, the dust your speech from the dust your speech will be bowed down. They're gonna they're gonna come against you, but you need to re and from the dust your speech shall whisper. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust. Okay, so even what you're gonna be brought low to, those who take advantage of this opportunity to come against you. Because remember, we've talked in the past about how instead of looking at it as God saying, I'm going to rile them up against you and send them, it's, it's people who always wanted to destroy them. And God's going to remove his hand of protection because of the things that are going on that they need to go through, the experiences they need to have in order to get rid of those things and purge them. And, and there's always... What an amazing day it would be if God removed his hand of protection and there was no enemy to come against him. But the enemies are already poised and waiting. And God's letting them know those, those enemies that take advantage of this opportunity, it will go worse for them. There are consequences for coming against Israel and against God's chosen who, you know, people, people group, individuals. When you come against them, when you come to attack them because you see an opening, you see an opportunity, and, and you say, oh, God's giving us a chance to do this. Well, yeah, God's allowing you the chance to do that. That doesn't mean that you're making the right choice to go into it, you know. It's like it's like when you know when you're aware of someone having done something wrong, and suddenly you have a chance to expose them. And you go, clearly, God's given me the chance. Well, yeah, you have a chance to expose them. What are you going to do? Are you going to reveal them and lay them naked in front of everybody, or are you going to? Um, not do that and show yourself to be a friend who might have the chance to talk to them and hopefully bring about change because because the exposing and the calling out and the and, and and the you know God's clearly opening the door for me to be able to let everybody know what you did reveals a lot more about you than it does about the person who did whatever it was. So this is more about that person when you should it to the side and right. have that one on one. Right. If you're really concerned about them. Uh, and, and that's one of my biggest frustrations with the idea that the gift of prophecy, you know, when you take the spiritual gifts test, it says, uh, are, you, are you used by God to call people out and, and challenge them in their areas of sin? And I go, ooh, maybe not how you're supposed to do that. <laughs> so, and even a lot, of, a lot of the things that are in prophecy, too, a lot of these things... The prophet went directly to the person and talked to them. You know, if it was all the people, they may have stood, if it was the people who were doing something, they may have stood in the, the center of town and cried out to the people. But there's not really an example of them standing in the center of town and calling out a person for everybody to hear. Right. I mean, 
Exception being John the Baptist and Herodias. And John the Baptist was of a very particular personality, and Herodias was of a very particular evil. And it did not go well for John. <laughs> and, and yet, and so I'm not, you know, sometimes, like, God is giving the opportunity for this to happen. Because he knows it's going to happen. He, he's going to use it to bring Israel to the place where they need to be. But it doesn't... You know, it's one of those things where I think God will use even our poor choices to bring things about. But that doesn't mean we don't have area to work on our choices and possibly be more used and more effective and, and, and in different ways for different purposes. So they will be like small dust and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chafe. And in an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring flame. And the multitude of the nations that fight against Ariel, all that fight against her and her stronghold and distress her, shall be like a dream, a vision of the night. So, yeah, they're going to come against you, and they're going to lay siege to you, and there's not anything you're going to be able to do about it. But at the right time, God's going to make an appearance, and, and that's it. It's going to be over. And when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he is eating, and awakes with his hunger not satisfied, or as when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking, and awakes faint with his throat, with his thirst not quenched, so shall the multitude oh, where am I? of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. So they're going to think, ha, we're getting our chance. We're getting our chance to take them out. But then when they come to their senses, they're not going to have accomplished anything. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, referring to the prophets, and covered your heads, referring to those who see visions. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. So I want to pause for a moment because Paul talks about being drunk, not with wine, but with the Spirit. And he talks about that, I believe the context is 1 Corinthians, and I'm actually going to look it up because I want to point something out here. Um, oh, no, that won't work because it... That is not the word I typed, and there's not going to be anything that says drunk with ein. Um, Ephesians 5, oh, Ephesians 5.18, let me see if it also shows up. In, no, okay, Ephesians 5.18, and do not be drunk with wine, 
in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And this, the idea of, if you look at it, the idea of coming together with psalms and hymns, and I'm going to back up a little bit, and I'm going to read this, because there's actually a lot of reference to what's going on here in the way this is worded. Um, so I'm going, to, I'm going to start at Ephesians 5.1. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Messiah also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Um, and keep in mind now what Isaiah is talking to them about is the fact that the level of sin that they've been engaged in is why they're being brought low. Okay, so Isaiah is is talking to Israel who has abandoned Torah truth, who has abandoned the things of God and embraced false gods and embraced, uh, embraced false worship and embraced uh, pagan deities and, and saying that you're going to be brought low because of it. So here Paul is saying, don't bring those unrighteous, unholy, pagan things into your worship. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And, and in the last chapter and in this chapter, in the, especially in the last chapter, it started with this picture of the the prophets and and the seers and the teachers and the priests being drunk and and in a in a space where there was so much of their own vomit that there was no way to move there was no place that was not filled with vomit from their drunkenness and and it's not talking alcohol it's talking imbibing on the unclean it's talking about um you know i'm sure alcohol was involved with it but it's it's it, that's not the point it's not saying don't get drunk and throw up it, it's it's prophetic and it's talking about the spiritual state of israel and here in ephesians 5 paul is talking about the spiritual state of this group in ephesus and he's saying you can't continue in those pagan things and think that you're you're functioning just fine for a body of, of that's part of the kingdom, okay? He say you can't keep doing those things, and it's not to say that when you come to the Lord that you have to instantly stop doing all the things that were pagan, whether you knew they were or not, or or that there's some level of perfection in the literal sense that that you will suddenly have no desire to do anything that is sin, and you will know what all sin is because you'll lose your desire for it, and 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 just different weird teachings that are out there. Um, 
And at the same time, you can't, don't think that you're just fine continuing doing these things. This is one of the big issues that I have with groups that say that, oh, you know, Jesus did away with the law. The Torah is done away with. Because right here, he's saying, don't do these things. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So some vain empty words might be, ah, that doesn't apply to us. Because if it doesn't apply to us, and you're not looking to it to understand what sin is, you're going to just be continuing in your disobedience because you don't know. Okay? And in Isaiah, very much the teacher's being held accountable for it. And Paul is very clear. Don't, you know, maybe don't aspire everybody to be teachers because you're going to be held accountable for what you teach. So, so you, you see this very strong Isaiah connection with him in lots of things that he talks about. And specifically here, talking about not being, uh, he says, therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out so, so that's in parentheses there, but taking out that little, little comment, it reads, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Okay, so there's not that Paul's not enforcing, reinforcing this idea of once you're saved, the Spirit will just let you know if you're sinning. Now, does the Spirit sometimes convict you of sins you may not have realized were sins or prompt you to go ask about? Yes. Yes. But the instruction from Paul is, you were darkness and you know how that works. You are now children of light. Learn what that means. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. You know, these things that people in the darkness do, we, we shouldn't even be, be talking about it. We shouldn't even be entertaining it. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Messiah will give you light. And, okay, just checking the footnote there. Uh, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So the days are evil. Everything out there to do is evil. So redeem your time by making wise choices. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. So, back over here, we have this instruction. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, this is back in Isaiah, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes and covered your heads. You know, and keeping in mind that Isaiah, you know, in the last chapter was saying, because, you know, you're, they're staggering around unable to see. They're staggering around giving wrong information. 
And so he says, um, back in, back in Ephesians, uh, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Okay. These are things you don't need a prophet to come and give you thing information. These are things you don't need a vision. You don't need somebody to come and prophetically say, I believe that God is leading us to sing. Just do it. Do the things that God, that you know God's saying to do. Stop looking for those extra super spiritual teachings because they're not actually getting stuff right right now. Okay? That's a common sense thing. Right. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We don't need to go and find the answer from a prophet who can help us. He's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Stand in what you know is right. Love everybody around you. Use some common sense. He says, and then he says, um, you know, giving thanks always for all things. Oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. And making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. And part of that, that is submitting to one another in the fear of God. Serve each other. Don't, don't try and dominate each other. Serve each other. Love each other. Use some common sense. Sing some hymns. Sing some praises. Worship God. Do what's right. You know, I'll tell you what. If you want to stop hating your enemy, start praying for them. God will change your heart about them. If you want to stop engaging in sin with someone, you may have to not be around that person. But what if you did Bible study with them, with other people around? Probably not going to engage in the sin that you would do in secret if nobody was there. So he's talking about changing how we engage with each other. Uh, because especially in a time where the church in Ephesus literally meant all you believers in Ephesus who are part of a community together now, who probably were pagan together and did a bunch of stuff before, you know, stop doing it now. Live differently with each other. Treat each other differently. Live righteously. And so, so going back to Isaiah where he's saying, um, you know, stop, you know, don't, don't live in that drunkenness, that spiritual drunkenness or that literal drunkenness. The Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. Okay. He's saying, God's not telling you what's happening or going to happen. He's not telling you how to get out of it. He's not giving you dreams to understand it. He's not letting the prophets among you have wisdom about it. It's at the point where if somebody handed you the scroll of what's happening and said, read this, you'd have to say, I can't, it's sealed. God is not revealing this to you. If he, if he hands it to you and gives you a book, if you cannot read and he gives you a book and says, read this, you have to say, I, I can't read. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, and I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. They honor me with their mouth. They draw near with their mouth. 
not their life, their mouth. They've got the right words. They're not in it. They're not in it. They honor me with their lips. They've got all the great praise they're talking about. They, they say all the right things. They, they know all the right, you know, articles of faith. They know all of the, the this is what our denomination believes. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Or maybe they came to me because somebody told them, if you don't say this right prayer and learn this right doctrine and behave this right way, if you die tonight, you're going to hell. And they said, oh, I don't want to go to hell. I better learn all these things I'm supposed to do. But they don't know God. They're not drawing near in their heart and their soul and their, the, what changes them. And, you know, you can't change someone's holiness by changing their behavior. If, you, if their holiness changes, their behavior will change. But teaching someone how to behave can hide a whole lot of unholiness for a very long time while it does a lot of damage. It's like the whole idea that you can teach someone modesty by telling them what to wear. Well, you, you just gave them some fashion advice. You didn't change their modesty. You can be utterly immodest in a burqa. And you can be absolutely, completely modest in a bikini on the beach. Because it's about what is coming forth from your soul. It's about how you wear it even more than what you wear. It's about how you behave while you wear it. Covering something doesn't make people not know what's there and not be interested in it. But if you're somebody that can be around people and is not giving off any communication that you are available to them, usually doesn't matter what you're wearing. Right. So modesty will change how you dress, but changing how you dress doesn't give you modesty. So he says, therefore, you know, their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. So basically what he's saying is, and this is what he was saying in the last chapter too, is I'm going to do great things with them. But I have to get all this garbage teaching out of there first. And I've got to do that in a way that will actually accomplish it. And it's not going to be pleasant because what I'm doing is shaking up their entire world and turning their doctrines on their head and letting them experience the natural consequences of the things they've embraced and been taught so that they can go, oh, that's not truth. Okay. With the hope and the desire and the purpose being that they will then go, well, what is? Because that's at the point, when, at the point, I know for me, 
my crisis of not actually crisis of faith, but crisis of bad theology came about when I was standing there going, nothing I've been taught matters or is relevant or at all seems to be accurate. It is not serving me in this situation that I'm in. It's not helping me understand it. It's not helping me know what to do. I feel like I've got this gobbledygook of wasted, massive knowledge that's inaccurate. What the heck? Somebody gave me a degree and didn't teach me a thing. You know, I was telling someone the other day about, I was actually was telling Chris about my friend back in high school who went in to get his, um, his permit so he could learn how to drive. And through a series of being given the wrong information and not knowing enough to question it, Six weeks, four to six weeks later, he got a driver's license in the mail. And he's like, they gave me a drive. I didn't know how to drive. I had a driver's license. I didn't know how to drive. What the heck? So this woman insisted that he go get in the line for the pictures. And he tried to tell her, I'm only here for my permit. And she said, yeah, you have to go get your picture. And so it just, it ended up getting processed. Could that happen in I, Probably not. <laughs> I'm imagining it happens a lot less. That things were not quite as computerized then. <laughs> so, so what God's saying is, and, and this is a, a continuation of what he was saying in the last chapter. Because what, what, one, one of the ways he said it in the last chapter, who am I supposed to teach truth to? The babies who just weaned? Because... Anyone beyond that has been fed the wine of this paganism that is not accurate. And they don't get it. Like, they're so twisted in their thinking, they can't see straight. And they're so convinced they're right because the people teaching them told them this is truth. Right. And it was done for so long. Right. And it's tradition, you know. It's when you go to seminary, most seminaries today, if they are attached to a particular denomination, are not set up for the purpose of teaching you how to study the Bible. They are set up for the purpose of making sure you know how to teach your denomination's doctrine. And this is generation after generation after generation of learning how to properly express a denomination's doctrine without any clue of whether or not it's actually biblical and without equipping people with the ability to study and figure out for themselves whether it is or not. And what's happening to a lot of denominations right now, especially in the cultural climate we live in today, is they are in complete chaos because what they've been taught isn't working with the culture in which they find themselves and they don't know what to do about it and they're panicking and they're fearing God so they want to make sure that they do the right thing which in their minds is blindly uphold this doctrine that we've been told is what God wants. Without stepping back to go, okay, where is the love? Where is this? And, and without getting to what I truly believe we are supposed to do, which is what I truly believe Paul is talking about in Ephesians, 
which is to say, okay, this is the culture in which we find ourselves. Within the context of this culture, we are called to deliver the message of God's love. How do we do that? Because if we tell everybody in this culture that they don't belong on the inside, they're purposed for being on the outside, we will find that we don't continue or be, and aren't relevant, which is what's happening. And unfortunately, a lot of the, the denominational splits that are happening are, are, and this is normal when there is change in any dynamic where when the pendulum has swung so extremely to one side, very often the first step in getting away from that is to slam that pendulum all the way to the other side. So where these particular things have been taught as wrong and evil and God hates these people, we're now going to go, no, it's all good. God loves you. Do whatever. He made you that way. Whereas real, the goal and what Paul is talking about in Ephesians is the people God loves the behavior, not always thrilled with. But in the context of community and relationship, as you pursue holiness, you leave behind the evil. And that is not the same thing as the horrible, horrible, horrible condemning phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. Because if you're making sure everybody knows that you hate the sin, the sinner is not feeling loved. Because until God shows people what the difference is between who they are and what they do, before God helps them understand that they are loved exactly as they are, before God sits down with them and says, I know your story. I love you. I accept you exactly as you are. And now let's work on healing. And so there's this idea that if you are a believer and you don't call out and condemn the sins when you encounter them, that you must be condoning them. And that is not true. Perhaps you are leaving them for the opportunity when in the context of a love relationship, the person says, I'm, I'm not sure about this behavior. I don't know if this is right. I don't think I should be doing this. I'm feeling conflicted about something. Right. Or I read this in the Bible. Is this talking about this? And you know, because this is how we go. We've done it for the whole time we've been here. We read what the Bible says and we talk about what it says. And then I am fully convinced that the Holy Spirit is willing to and able and ready to work that out with everybody when they're ready. And I'm not going to pick which thing he's going to work on today. Because that's his job. What's ironic is people want to say that when you start studying the law, you've become legalistic. And we talked about this a lot last week because it was very much not, you know, saying no. And Ephesians, Paul is saying, no, you have to learn what God says is righteousness and holiness. You have to study it. You have to seek it out. In the context of when you meet together, 
do righteous stuff when you're together, then people will start to learn what's righteous. Challenge each of them to do what's righteous in their own home. Stop focusing on fear and, and not being with God and losing God or, or, you know, well, you might think you're saved, but if you're doing that, you're clearly going to hell. You know, stop with the going to hell. Come on. Right. First of all, if somebody is going to hell, maybe don't focus on that. Maybe try to teach them what not hell is like. Because the fear of God as a commandment is what it, the you know, their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And the thing that's going to change people the most is the love of God. We love him because he first loved us. Not we love him because somebody scared the crap out of us. And we knew we better get right. It doesn't work that way. So he's saying, I wanna, I'm going to again do wonderful things with this people. With wonder upon wonder. Like, I'm going to do amazing things with them. When the wisdom of their wise men perishes and the discernment of their discerning men is, is removed from them. Because that's not helping them. It says, Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark. This is just what Paul was saying. The deed's done in darkness. You used to be in darkness. Now you're in the light. Stop living like you're in darkness. So you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me. Or the thing formed, say of him who formed it, oh, he has no understanding. Because when you're saying, who sees us? Who knows us? You're saying, God doesn't know what we're doing. He's not paying attention. He's looking over there, and we're over here in this darkness. It's all good. Okay. <laughs> Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field? And the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of the, their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Okay, contrasting this with where you are right now. It's like if somebody hand, handed you a sealed up scroll and said, read this, you'd have to go, it's sealed. If somebody, if you can't read and, got, and somebody hands you a scroll and says, read this, you'd have to say, I can't read. Whereas in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. They're going to be able to open the book and you know, just a quick reference over to Revelation where people are crying out, Who, who's worthy to open these books? What's well, the Lamb. It's the Lamb of God who takes away. In fact, it's not just the Lamb. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in that day, when the book is opened, the day that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness... The eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. 
and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. And that is these words fulfilled. Give me one second here. In Luke one twenty, um, when the angel is talking to Zacharias about the fact that they're going to have John, he said, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. So there's this, there's this pattern of if God makes a promise and you don't believe it, you're blind to spiritual things from that point on until that day comes that you are able to see. And... Uh, I'm looking for a particular verse here that I want to read as well. Um, oh, shoot. Hold on here. I'm trying to... Give me one second. I'm trying to find something specific, and I'm trying to remember which version I read it in that it's going to be worded the way <laughs> that I remember it. <laughs> um, let me see. It says... Oh, my goodness. Okay, hold on one second. Um... What? Okay, hold on, I'm getting off there. Okay. Okay, that's here. Hang on, Luke four twenty one. So when he, say, when he says to them, uh, 4.17 in Luke, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight to the, recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So he's saying, he, he's reading this passage from Isaiah that talks about all, you know, the, not this particular passage, but these themes that keep re re reoccurring here. And he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, this is verse 20, 
and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, I'm the one Isaiah said was coming. I'm the one Isaiah said would give sight to the blind. I'm the one Isaiah said was going to free the captives and remove the oppression of the poor. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Okay, so he's come into the synagogue and, it's, and he reads and he speaks this from Isaiah and he says, I'm the one who was sent to do these things. And they're going, wow, this is awesome. This is wonderful. In our day, he's sent. In our day, he's going to do. We were the ones chosen for him to do these things for. And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. So, so he hears them, and because they're going, isn't this Joseph's son? And, he's, and, and now you're probably thinking, wait, if he's from our community, why is he doing these things other places? Why isn't he taking care of us first? So immediately they're like, whoa, and then, hey, immediately their entitlement is up. Immediately, their privilege is offended. Immediately, they're going, wait, wait, if we were the ones chosen for you to come, why are, you know, do some of those things here. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the day of, days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Because he's just said, yeah, you know, there were lots of people who needed stuff. And the, that prophet was sent to this person only. And that prophet helped this person only. And neither time was it the people who you would have thought. It wasn't the Bible leaders. It wasn't the Torah teachers. It wasn't the priests. It wasn't the rabbis that Elisha was out there taking care of. It was a widow. It was a leper from Syria. And they're going, who does he think he is? What are you talking about? And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Dang. That's mad. That's mad. They didn't just say, I think we have a doctrinal disagreement here. They said, oh, that's it, you're going down. And by down, we mean literally over that cliff onto those rocks below to kill you. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. He just walked off. He just, did, he just didn't engage him. He didn't feel the need to stand up and call him down or challenge him or, or call his God power out. He just, just walked away. Because he knew, I mean, there's a reason he wasn't coming to do it with them. They were like these people in Isaiah. 
who have all the right words and all the right doctrines and none of the right relationship with God. It says, Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, you know, and, and Jesus rebuked him, and, and, and he goes, he starts doing all of these amazing things. And, and then, you know, he talks about the fact that the purpose he was sent for was to preach the gospel. And so, so it's basically when he calls out those two examples, he's saying to them, yeah, I'm the person that Isaiah was talking about, and I didn't come to do this for you. I'm going to do it to the people you think are the least worthy. They're the ones who need it. They're the ones ready for it. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. And that's one of the things he's talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, in fact, let me, let me pull that up real quick. Sermon on the Mount. Get the exact reference for it. Matthew 5 through 7. Because he's basically saying in, in the Beatitudes, listen to these real quick. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, or blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. And who are they? Because who was condemning the poor and the, the meek and the powerless? Who was being told, yeah, you don't get in. The kingdom of God is not for you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses, he's not talking. He's not talking to the Torah teachers. He's out among the multitudes saying, I see all your stories. I know your hurts. I know your needs. I know the things that you have been told keep you from God. And I am telling you, blessed are all of you. Because the fact that you, des the fact that you are aware of your need means you know where you need God. Because somebody who doesn't know where they need God, there's very little that God's going to do with them. Because even if he tried, they wouldn't be open. 
Because what he'd have to do in order to get them open would be to take them out of that place that they think they're entitled to and move them into a place of being poor in spirit, mourning, meek. Because until they see their need, they don't think they need anything. And this is what Isaiah is saying. You've got all the right answers. You don't think you need a thing. But you're blind to what you need. So you're going to have to be taken low so you can see what you need. And Yeshua is out there talking to the people who are low going, you're low. You know what your need is. That's awesome. You don't have to go through things that are going to teach you what your need is. We can just meet right now in the place of your need. I can just start meeting those needs right now. So going back to Isaiah, it says, The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among you, among mankind, shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off who by a word make a man out to be an offender and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate and with an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. So what, when it was saying, blessed are you if you're persecuted and, and you know, in, for my name's sake. Parallel here. The ruthless are going to come to nothing. All who watch to do evil shall be cut off who by a word make a man out to be an offender. Okay, an offender of what? Of the Torah. That was the law of the land. So what he's saying is, the people who are on the lookout to catch you, or accuse you if they can't catch you, they'll make something up. And the people who are going to be doing that are the ones who have decided, well, I think this is a sin too. I'm going to make sure that you don't do anything I think is a sin. I'm going to call you out on it. You know, just me alone, because that doesn't violate any law. You know, not like God says two or more have to accuse you. They're doing evil. And with an empty plea, they turn aside him who's in the right. Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham, Concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall no more be ashamed, no more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands, in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land. And not choosing as in God rejected, but reaffirming. You know, yes, I choose you, Israel, and set them in their own land and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. Which is what Paul says that the believers were doing in, in the early church. The strangers are coming in and attaching themselves. This is prophecy fulfilled right now that we're living in. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. And again, not we own you. But the idea behind having slaves that was taught that it was supposed to be is 
come into my home and let me be your Torah master and let me teach you the ways of God. They will take captive those who were their captors and rule over those who oppressed them. Oh, no, this is Isaiah. Daggone it, Isaiah 14. I've erased it. I keep, it keeps popping up. It is stuck in there. Same idea, but we're just going to go back. Apparently, 24 is the end. Those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. It fits with it. Every time it pops in there, it fits with exactly the theme. For a second, I was like, I could have sworn we were like in a different chapter. No, honest to goodness, that has happened. Not every week, but it's happened like eight out of ten times, and I keep removing it, and it keeps popping back in there. Let's just read it again. The last time I was here. Yes! <laughs> it happened last time I was here, too. But it didn't happen last week. Mm-mm, it didn't. So maybe something I need to hear. Yeah, maybe God. maybe God's <laughs> talking to you. Fiona, we need to hear. <laughs> 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 Let's read it again. <laughs> That's what I say every time. I'm like, well, maybe we need to hear it. The Lord will have compassion on Jacob and choose Israel and set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. And, and, I, and I know I pointed out at least two or three of the times that this keeps popping in there, that, that this is really a reference to uh, the, the prophecy about Noah's sons, that Shem shall dwell in the land, and Japheth will serve in his house. And the children of Japheth being all the people, who, you know, out over, you know, Europe and basically all the people who went out and didn't stay in that area. So if you, you know, if you come from European descent completely, it's Japheth. In fact, uh, the uh, Irish are, are known to be uh, the second best genealogists in the world, as far as their record keeping over the ages, second only to the Jews. And the Irish can trace themselves back to Japheth and which of his sons they come from. So this isn't talking about, yeah, God wants the Israelites to own slaves. This is saying this prophecy about the, you, you know, Japheth serving in Shem's house is going to be fulfilled when this happens. And on that note, I'm going to go ahead and end and just say, I'm loving, what? I had asked her what a genealogist was because what kept oh. popping in my head was a gynecologist. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not no. That's not the Irish me. are the best gynecologists. <laughs> I was like, no, that, that's something no. different. I know that. <laughs> Did she, did she explain? Genealogists being the people who, they, they keep track of the family was, lines. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like, in my mind, it was like, like women. I'm like, that's not, no. That's, yeah. That's She's like, that can't be what it is, because in context, that's weird. It's <laughs> a little random. So, so, just, Isaiah is so awesome. And over and over, just calling out, basically, you know, if you're the people who think you have all the answers, you probably don't think you need God. And it may be because you think you already have him, but nobody has God. God has people. But if you think you have God, 
you're stumbling around with the drunk teachings in the room full of vomit, and you are blind and deaf and unable to understand. And it is very hard. I, I think one of the most powerful testimonies about this kind of idea, um, if you ever read Jim Baker's book after he got released from prison, you know who Jim Baker, Jim, Tim and... Uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker with with TBN and their houses everywhere and their giant palatial estates and their their doctrine of faith and prosperity. And clearly we're people of God because God's sending us all this money from all of you and, and we're being entrusted with it and we're building ourselves nice things. Thank you. God wants us to have them. God will do that for you too if you get to be as righteous and holy as we are. And then, tax scandal, and he ends up in prison. And what a powerful book, the title of which is, I Was Wrong.